Lauren Handy, Herb Garrity, Heather Idoni, William Goodman, and John Hinshaw. Remember those names. Those are the five latest political prisoners to be thrown in jail by evil regime apparatchiks right here in our own country. And I don't throw the word evil around lightly. Here, the word is entirely appropriate because the evil apparatchiks in Washington, D.C. are imprisoning these five patriots for the simple act of demonstrating against abortion. These five pro-life advocates demonstrated in defense of babies at an abortion mill, an infanticide factory, and for that, they face over a decade in prison. They didn't set off any bombs. They didn't shoot anybody. They didn't do any of that. They just demonstrated against infanticide. Their demonstration apparently violates the FACE Act, a Clinton-era rule outlawing any interference with infanticide whatsoever. BLM can block highways. Environmentalists, Antifa, they can shut down any city they like. They can stop mothers from driving their children to the hospital, actually, as we saw in one particularly high-profile incident recently, and it doesn't matter. They don't even get a slap on the wrist. But no one is allowed to so much as stand between an abortionist and his next victim. So these pro-lifers have already been sent to jail, potentially for months as they await sentencing. Even more egregious, the demonstration that got these pro-life advocates imprisoned was a direct response to the earlier discovery of illegal abortions performed by the baby butcher Cesare Santangelo. All abortions are crimes in the sense that they violate the natural law. But Santangelo's abortions were also crimes according to the civil law. And they were uncovered only because pro-lifers stumbled upon the remains of full-term babies being thrown out with medical waste. A story that our legal and media establishment quickly swept under the rug. And now to tie up loose ends, they're sweeping the pro-life activists under the rug and straight into prison too. All of which makes one wonder. Just like Mitchell and Webb. Are we the baddies? We talk a lot about despotic regimes around the world. One of the key markers of those regimes is forget about the people they're killing, the injustice against the most vulnerable people in their nations. One of the key markers is how many political prisoners they lock up. And over the course of the last few years, we've gone from relatively few to quite a lot. Hundreds of January 6thers having the book thrown at them over trivial transgressions in most cases. Oh, they're just rioters, some said then. Okay, and then the government arrested the former president and current leader of the opposition. Oh, well, it's just Trump. He did it to himself, some people said. Then the government arrested the opposition leader's lawyers and staff. Oh, well, some said, some people realized that was a little bit too far, but some people, they said, oh, well, serves him right. They were working for Trump. Well, now the government is rounding up ordinary Americans who voice their opposition to the wholesale slaughter of infants. Now those people are facing over a decade in prison for disagreeing with perhaps the clearest form of injustice in our entire country. That's a lot of dissidents getting thrown in the clink in a short period of time. And there's still a lot of time to go before the election that the liberals refuse to lose.
I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Very fitting because I had Good Ranchers last night. It was a delicious, juicy double cheeseburger. Best burgers I've ever had. I guess, though, I could do this ad most days of the week, and I probably would have also had Good Ranchers the night before then, too. Get great meat at a secure price. 30 bucks off your order with my code Knowles. GoodRanchers.com. Use code Knowles today. Uh, speaking of our sacred democracy and elections, uh, Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky, the great defender of democracy, has said that he's not going to hold any elections anymore. And he's only going to hold them if the West pays for it. So if we pay for his elections, maybe he'll do it. Otherwise, he's too busy defending democracy. So he can't hold his own elections. Now, here in the United States, the activists, the advocates who are willing to put their freedom on the line, they give me a lot of hope. Young people in particular give me a lot of hope. And one young person especially is giving me a lot of hope. Uh, I, I... saw this kid's clip go viral because a number of people tagged me in his clip because I guess some people thought this young man wearing smart-looking chinos and a nice button-down Oxford shirt has his hair parted a little bit off on the side. They thought maybe this young man and I uh, bear a passing resemblance. Uh, This is a 12-year-old boy uh, from uh, Harrison School District 2 in Southeast Colorado Springs who was kicked out of class for having a Gadsden flag on his backpack. And a Gadsden flag, that's the one with the snake, and it says, don't tread on me. This is one of the very earliest American flags. It dates back to the American Revolution. It was a flag that was waved very high by the patriots during the revolution. And the DEI, you know, counselor and enforcer of liberal policies at this school harangued this young man and his mother for having the audacity to... uh, show a symbol of the American Revolution. The reason that they do not want the flag, the reason we do not want the flag displayed, is due to its origins with slavery and slave trade. That is what was... um, Just put a pause right there. So you see the mother says, in the American Revolution, and the woman at the same time, she goes, in slavery. It's about... Now, of course, the Gadsden flag has nothing whatsoever to do with slavery. It's just, this isn't something that is debatable or, well, you have your opinion, I have my opinion. There's, it it just has no connection. I don't don't know how else to put it. If you're in any way literate about history of not that long ago, just a couple hundred years, you would know that. But why does this counselor lady think that the Gadsden flag has something to do with slavery? Well, because she knows that the mother is right that the flag has to do with the American Revolution. And presumably, she's read the only popular document that has suggested that the American Revolution was about slavery. And that was Nicole Hannah Jones's, the New York Times's, 1619 Project, the thesis of which was the American Revolution was fought to protect slavery. It's completely made up. Even left-wing academic historians wrote a letter saying this is complete nonsense. It's not true whatsoever. The New York Times did, after the fact, very subtly have to retract that claim. But it doesn't matter. They put millions and millions of dollars into spreading this 
total lie, this fake news, and it's made it into schools. It didn't just sit in the newspaper. The point of it was to affect curricula, and it has affected curricula, including the many, many very ignorant I don't say that to disparage these people. I'm just pointing out they don't know a lot of things. Very ignorant apparatchiks who are working around these schools who, I don't know, they read it once in the New York Times. And okay, so now that's the established fact. So you can see how an ignorant person could be duped by that. Well, the consequences, if those ignorant people are in positions of power, then they're going to boot out a basic American symbol. Keep going. That's the reasoning behind them, obviously. The Gadsden one. The don't tread on me, okay. which is the Gatsby book. Okay. The bag can't go back. It's got patch on it because we can't have that in and around other kids. So that's what I was trying. And then he said you were close. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it has nothing to do with slavery. That's like the Revolutionary War patch that was okay. displayed when they were fighting the British. I am here to enforce the policy that was provided okay. by the district. Okay. And definitely you have every right to not agree with it. I mean, yeah, because yeah, the ACLU says that he's allowed to wear that if you like go on their website. I love this. It goes on and on for, uh, I think, two and a half, three minutes. And that woman, which she said, this is the most depressing part of the whole video. It's what this ignorant bureaucrat at this school says. Says, yeah, it's about slavery. And the mother goes, it's just not. She goes, yeah, okay. Well, I obviously don't have any arguments to back up my point. So um, look, I'm just following orders, man. I'm just here to enforce the policy of the district. I don't know anything about the the reasoning for the policy. I don't know anything about American history. I don't care about the justice of the policy or the truth of the claim that it's based on. I'm just kicking your kid out of class anyway. La, 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 la. I don't care. I don't care. One of the oldest flags in American history. It's it's not even my favorite flag. The, the Gadsden flag is in many ways more anodyne than the earlier American flags. The Gadsden flag is today often associated with the libertarians or the Tea Party. It's often associated with people who basically just are focused on economic issues or who just want to be left alone. It's, it's not the flag waved by hardcore social conservatives, usually. It's not the flag waved by the populists today, usually. Then you could see how maybe it would be slightly more controversial. It's not. It's waved by nice, ordinary libertarians. It's it's waved by sophomores in college who read Ayn Rand for the first time. It's waved by people who have a passing interest in 18th century American history. It's so basic. It's so anodyne. There are, there are much more hardcore early American flags. The fir- very first American flag, the oldest known flag, is a flag called the Bedford flag. And the Bedford flag is, a, is an arm covered in a knight's coat of arms holding a sword. And it says, vince out morire, win, conquer, or die. That's a little bit more hardcore. And at, I think actually those two flags represent a shift in the way the right is thinking about politics. For many years, for probably the last 30 years, especially over the last 15, the American right has been the Gadsden flag right. Don't tread on me. Leave me alone. Do whatever you want to do. Just don't make me pay for it and go do your own thing and I'm going to do my own thing. That hasn't worked because bureaucrats like that lady in that school are always going to come and try to stop you from doing what you want to do and worse yet, stop you from exercising your rights and worse yet, stop you from speaking the truth. 
That's always going to happen. We live in a society, no man is an island entire unto himself. So I think you're going to see a shift from that early American flag, the Gadsden flag, toward an even earlier one, Vinci out morire. <laughs> we are going to win these cultural battles. We're going to duke them out. We're going to win these cultural battles or our view is just going to die out and our traditions are going to die out and our way of life is going to die out. But we are not all going to just kumbaya, agree to disagree and go along to get along. We are, are going to have to enshrine certain things as true and certain things as false. Either true American history is going to be taught in schools or the 1619 Project BS is going to be taught in schools. Either that lady is going to be enforcing a false view of American history and bad education policies, or we're going to boot her out of that school, and we're going to get a good educator in there to enforce good policies with true facts. This is, this is what Ron DeSantis saw in Florida. This is why DeSantis focused so much on education. We all have to do it. And now, just before, just to put a bow on it, I know people have asked if this young man and I have any relation. I would just like to say, that boy is not my son, to the best of my knowledge. As we hear in the Odyssey by Homer, as we hear in William Shakespeare, it is a wise child who knows his own father. But far as I can tell, that boy is not my son. I am proud of him anyway. I'm very proud. That's a very sharply dressed, rightly ordered, well-behaved, courageous young man. Good on him and good on the mother. When our society is collapsing, you're going to want some tangible assets. You're going to want to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. As central banks in countries like China, China, India, and Australia begin transitioning to a digital currency, the Federal Reserve has been contemplating the same for the U.S. With a digital currency, the government could track every single purchase you make. Officials could even prohibit you from purchasing certain products and easily freeze or seize your money. These are some of the reasons that concerned Americans reach out to Birch Gold. They want to have a physical asset like gold that is independent of the U.S. dollar. You can protect your IRA or 401k by diversifying with gold from Birch Gold. Historically, gold has been a safe haven in times of high uncertainty, which is right now. Learn if gold is right for you, too. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898, and they will send you a free info kit on gold. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, I trust Birch Gold to help you diversify into gold. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, it will be nice to have some gold to depend upon. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898. Where did this crazy educator get this idea that the American Revolution is about slavery? She got it from one lady, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Nicole Hannah-Jones is a favorite huckster of the left. She is a fabulist from the New York Times who passes herself off as some kind of academic, though she's not known for any actual academic work. She just goes onto liberal media outlets and whines about racism and makes up stories about history and wins prizes for it. So Nicole Hannah-Jones just did the same thing. She showed up on CNN with Jake Tapper to explain the very rapid spread, you probably didn't even notice it, of white supremacy. Since 1968, um, it is no longer legal in this country to explicitly discriminate against Black Americans. So, of course, we've learned over the last um, 
60 years that you have to use different language, that you have to use language that appears to be race neutral, um, but that sends the same dog whistle. So we can look at, you know, Ron DeSantis running on this uh, platform of, uh, against what he's calling wokeism, but where those of us who study history, who understand um, uh, the society that we live in, understand that that's often coded as language against Black Americans, <laughs> as language against um, other marginalized groups. And how do we know that? Well. He also banned the teaching of African-American um, advanced placement studies in the state. So yes, we, we do see a more coded language, but it's also uh, a language of, um, you know, that's not often that coded. I mean, Donald Trump is, you know, came to office on a pretty openly white nationalist campaign. Um, we see people like Tucker Carlson, who are allowed to have a major platform on the most watched um, cable news television in the country. They're all white supremacists. It's all, it's all white nationalism. Okay. Okay. If Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson and Ron DeSantis, if the three most prominent conservatives in America doing different things in different places at different levels of government and society. If, if it just so happens that the three most prominent conservatives in America are white nationalists, then I guess we're all just white nationalists, aren't we? I, get, I found out Larry Elder, you know, Larry Elder, I know he's black, but he's a white nationalist because that's what the LA Times said. Candace Owens, she's a white nationalist, obviously. We were told that. Uh, uh, someone in the chat, our friend Arun, a member of the Creme de la Creme here, he pointed out yesterday in the chat that Vivek Ramaswamy, he called him, he said, he's not the black face of white supremacy. He's the red dot on the brown forehead of white supremacy. Everybody's a white supremacist. If, if they disagree with Nicole Hannah-Jones, to which I say, okay, I guess that's what we are now. I, did, I thought the phrase had more of a meaning than that. I guess it doesn't. So, okay, whatever. No, did, but did you hear? Did you hear, conservatives? We called you white supremacists. All right, I guess. Whatever, man. <laughs> like, okay. Aren't you upset? Aren't you going to defend yourself against that charge? No. No, I'm not. Because I don't. you've demonstrated that, one, the phrase doesn't mean anything. And two, that you're, you're not arguing in good faith. So no, why would I defend myself against that? Did Socrates defend himself at his trial? Did, did our Lord defend himself during the Passion, during his trial? No. Why? Why is that? Because of their particular virtue, in, you know, in the case of our Lord, his perfect virtue? Uh, yeah, that's part of it. Also, just as a very practical, prudential matter, what good is to be done with it? You're never going to convince somebody like Nicole Hannah-Jones that you're not a white supremacist. She thinks if you're white, you're a white supremacist. And if you're a black person who disagrees with her, you're a white supremacist. So who cares? Who cares? Just let it roll on. This is another big shift in the American right. I think even 10 years ago, the American right was very eager to prove to the supposedly open-minded, good-faith, centrist liberals that we're not racist. No, actually, the Democrats are the real racists, and we're not the— But I, I, something has shifted, at least in my mind, over the last few years, which is I, I've come to realize that the phrase is it's never used in good faith. Even this term white nationalism, virtually no one had ever even heard of that term until a few years ago when the libs used it because the word racism had lost its power, because the, the phrase white supremacy had lost its power because it had been so abused. So, okay, now that's the new one, whatever. 
You're going to call me that? I take that to be a badge of honor. I remember Ann Coulter made this point. She visited us when I was in college. She gave a talk and she said, kids, don't, don't be discouraged. When a liberal calls you a racist, you know you've won the argument. So true. And I have, I've won some kind of lottery because several nights a week, I have the opportunity to eat delicious steak from Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Knowles. I don't know about you, but this summer heat in Nashville feels hotter than a $2 pistol. And thanks to inflation, everyone's feeling the heat in more ways than one. One thing that you will not sweat this summer and this fall and this winter is the price of your meat. Thanks to Good Ranchers, my price is locked in for two years. Yours can be too. Price lock guarantee on meat? Yes, it's amazing. I don't get how their finances work to, to allow this to happen, but it's incredible. And the, the meat quality is also incredible. When I was a wee lad, steak was a very rare special occasion kind of thing. And now Good Ranchers will bring you extraordinarily high quality steak at an extremely reasonable price to your door to say nothing of all the other great food they've got, the chicken and the pork and the burgers, which I had last night, which are the best I've ever had. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, for 30 bucks off any box. That is promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at GoodRanchers.com. GoodRanchers.com. American meat delivered. When wokeness is permeating every aspect of your life, it's hard to know where to turn to for guidance. I've got some good news. Our friend Dennis Prager has all of the answers in his Daily Wire Plus series, Prager U Master's Program. In Master's Program, Dennis Prager has gathered 40 years worth of wisdom and is sharing it on a number of wide-ranging subjects. Dennis offers useful advice on marriage, happiness, how to be a good person, plus so much more. He even dares to explain the differences between men and women. In a world that wants to make you woke, Dennis wants to make you wise. All episodes are now available only for Daily Wire Plus members, so do not wait. Go to dailywireplus.com to become a member and watch PragerU Master's Program today. Speaking of white presidential candidates, a little bit of a rough transition, uh, Chris Christie is lobbing more attacks at Donald Trump. And this attack actually ties into our whole broad theme of the day. This attack is that Donald Trump wants to be an authoritarian leader. I think what we have is a Donald Trump problem. And that right now what's gone on is that people view Donald Trump synonymously with the Republican Party, and that if you oppose Trump, that's somehow favoring Biden. And many Republicans don't want to do that for very obvious reasons. Um, and I think that that's why we need to have this full debate and discussion that we just really started on Wednesday night um, about who should be leading our party and who should be leading our country. And I've said very clearly uh, on the authoritarian side of things, this is Donald Trump's problem, not the Republican Party's problem. He's the guy who thinks that uh, Vladimir Putin's an excellent leader and brilliant. He's the guy who thinks that President Xi is straight out of Hollywood. He's the guy who thinks Kim Jong-un um, is wonderful. I mean, these are things that he has said um, about these authoritarian leaders. And it's because Donald Trump would like to be one himself. He wants to be an authoritarian. So Christie bases his cheap shot on cheaper shots, which is Donald Trump has pointed out that Xi Jinping is a, apparently a pretty competent leader of his country, which is just indisputably true. He's able to hold and exercise power pretty effectively in China, in a very large country. That's impressive. He's able to uh, build up his nation's economy and maintain social order. That's impressive. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm not saying I agree with him. 
That's not what Donald Trump is saying either. Same thing about Putin. You think about after communism, after the collapse of the Russian form of government, you had this failed guy, Boris Yeltsin, who had all sorts of personal problems, who wasn't able to maintain or wield power, opened up his country to a lot of corruption. And then Vladimir Putin comes in, he has been able to maintain power pretty effectively. And he's remained very popular among the Russian people. So you're not saying he's a good guy if you, if you point out that this is an effective leader, which is obviously what Trump was doing here. But Christie needs those cheap shots, those disingenuous attacks to build up his broader point, which is that Donald Trump, he loves authoritarian. He's an authoritarian. The conservatives are not, but he is. Okay. Donald Trump waved an LGBT flag on the campaign trail in 2016. Okay. Donald Trump is in no way an authoritarian leader, unless we're defining authoritarian leader as liberal from seven years ago. (laughs) I don't think I'm overstating this too much. Donald Trump speaks and acts in a rather liberal way by historical standards because he's slightly more traditional and conservative than, I don't know, Barack Obama or something like that. Now, according to the squishes and the liberals, he's an authoritarian. He's the second coming of Francisco Franco, but it's completely ridiculous. But let's go with Christie for a second. Let's say Christie were right. Let's say Donald Trump really were an authoritarian. Let's say that having men go into the men's bathroom constitutes authoritarianism, for instance. What's the alternative to that? The alternative to supposed conservative authoritarianism is liberal totalitarianism. But make no mistake, liberalism is totalitarian. And what's the distinction between the two? Authoritarianism is when the government says, hey, don't do stuff in the streets that's crazy and weird. Don't, don't, don't just follow whatever impulse you've got in your appetites and parade around on the street wearing leather costumes, smacking each other around. Don't, hey, maybe don't do that, okay? That's, like, that's what we're calling authoritarian these days. But, like, for instance, the liberals call Viktor Orban in Hungary authoritarian. It's completely ridiculous. But even if he were, what are they saying is authoritarian? Is he goes out and he says, hey, we're a Christian country. You can believe however you want to believe. You can engage in basically whatever practices you want to engage in, in the privacy of your own home. But in public, we're going to be a Christian country and have Christian morality. That's all he said. That's, that's what they call authoritarian. But what the liberals insist on is not only that you have to do what they want you to do in public, you have to do it in private too. You're not allowed to be a conservative within the privacy of your own home. You're not allowed to encourage conservative rituals within the privacy of your own home. They're going to shut down your churches. They're going to go, they're going to go send the FBI in to spy on your mass. They're going to send the FBI to go knock on your door if you're a father of seven, but you're a pro-life advocate and you're a little too vocal. They're going to show up to your house. They're not, they're going to, if, if you oppose the LGBT flag, Oh, they're, that's going to be a problem. You're not going to get to wear a Gadsden flag. You're not going to get to maintain your traditions. That's called totalitarianism. You're, you're the, the authoritarianism, as people talk about it today in a very shallow way, is just that there's a bedrock set of rules that people have to broadly respect in public, and then they can do whatever they want. Totalitarianism is when the media when the education system, when the scientific establishment, when obviously the bureaucracy and the institutions of the government, when all of that 
has to uphold a very rigid ideological set of views. And if anyone breaks them, it's where members of the community, it's where members of the family are going to be encouraged to rat on each other, to attack each other, where you're going to be sent into Thanksgiving dinner, not to have a nice holiday with your family, but to go lecture, to go scold your conservative uncle for his backward views on global warming or whatever. That's totalitarianism. And if those are the two options, conservative, so-called authoritarianism, where we say, hey, clean up the streets and act normal versus liberal totalitarianism, go rat on your uncle and call up the feds if he seems a little too conservative. Give me the conservative version, baby. That's fine by me. I think the, the chrysosance is uh, very steadily collapsing. And you know the biggest irony of all? Here's the biggest irony of it all. Chris Christie has made a big point in the last couple of weeks of saying that the most important thing we can do is we got to support Ukraine. He's, he's flown to Kiev. He's met with Zelensky. He's, he's talked about the importance of just continuing to spend money and arms and ratchet up this proxy war that we're fighting with Russia in Ukraine. We've got to do it. Democracy is on the line. Meanwhile, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has just come out and announced that he's not going to have elections. The, <laughs> the basic element of a democracy, this guy's not going to do. Unless, he said, he's willing to consider holding elections if the United States pays for it. Zelensky said, I told Senator Graham. Okay, I can't, I can't do a Ukrainian accent. I can't, can't even really do a Russian. He says, I told Senator Graham, if the United States and Europe give us financial support, I'm sorry, I will not hold elections on credit. I will not take money from weapons and give it to elections either. But if you give me this financial support, if the parliamentarians realize that we need to do this, then let's quickly change the legislation. And most importantly, let's take risks together. But no, otherwise I'm not holding these elections. Now I get it. I get why a nation at war would not hold elections. I get why Vladimir Zelensky has declared martial law. I totally get it. Right? They're at war. It's an existential fight. And also, it was never about democracy. Can we please cut the crap about democracy? Here in the United States, when we pretend that electing Donald Trump is a threat to democracy, the people getting what they want is a threat to democracy, or in Ukraine, we have to defend democracy. We got to suspend elections indefinitely so we can defend democracy. It's not about democracy. What people are fighting for in Ukraine is liberalism, and so-called Western values. That's where we say we have an interest in Ukraine because Russia's trying to expand their sphere of influence and Russia's illiberal and anti-Western and we're Western and we're very liberal and we want to expand our sphere of influence. We want to push the Russians out. That's openly what people are talking about once you get past the, the facade of the democracy talk, which would be all well and good. I'm all for the West maintaining its position and hegemony and power. But what are Western values? What do we mean by Western values? Do we mean Christendom? Do we mean justice? Do we mean the the values that built our civilization and allowed it to flourish? Do we mean even truth, justice in the American way? The Superman values? No. Western values today means abortion. Western values means transing the kids. That's the part they're going to have to bleep that out of YouTube. Western values means all sorts of degeneracy. That's what it's associated with. It's not associated with building new churches. 
It's not associated with encouraging marriage and encouraging family formation and encouraging virtue. In fact, all of those things are on the decline in the West. So that's what it's about now. And given that fact, can you see how some American conservatives might be a little bit skeptical of of that? Might think it's not worth the blood and the treasure and dragging on a war endlessly with no end in sight? I can understand that. Can you see why some people might think Chris Christie, who is wrong about almost everything, might also be wrong about this? My favorite comment yesterday is from Jake Anderson, 3468, who says, Telling people that there were good governments prior to John Locke is like pulling teeth. I know, this was a problem for a long time. After World War II, the liberals did a great job of infiltrating the American right and turning the right into a bunch of libs. But I think that's kind of fading away. I think we're moving back to a a little bit more of a traditional, classical, older understanding of politics in America. I think think we're moving back toward that Bedford flag, vinche out morire. Now, that, that arm of the knight, recognize, well, who were the knights? The knights were Christian soldiers. They weren't fighting for John Locke and some totally abstracted enlightenment value. They weren't fighting for America is merely an idea and diversity is our strength and we need to be more and more liberal, ever more so, and let people do it. No, they, they fought for the, the values and the beliefs and the way of life that made our civilization great. Now, speaking of less than democratic leaders, not just in Ukraine, back here at home, Speaking of despotic governments, you know, Joe Biden got caught using a pseudonym, two pseudonyms, actually. Well, actually more than two pseudonyms, but they were variations on two main themes. This was the latest stage of Joe Biden had no idea what Hunter Biden was doing in his business. And it turned out he had some idea. How do we know that? Because Joe Biden previously said, I never talked to Hunter about my business. Then we found out Hunter admitted, yeah, they did talk about the business. Well, I didn't, I wasn't involved in it at all. Then we found out he actually was meeting with the business partners. He was on 20 plus phone calls with the corrupt people that they were getting money from. He was writing handwritten notes. He was, well, okay, those were just pleasantries though. We were just talking about the weather. Okay, well, now we found out that while Joe was vice president, he was conducting business overseas setting up phone calls with the president of Ukraine, conducting business with his son, Hunter, using a pseudonym. And still, throughout all of this, what we have heard, the big excuse has been, look, Joe Biden just loves his son. He just really loves his son. His son was going through a rough patch, a real rough patch. But his son, he's an addict. His son, no doubt, is an addict. His son, he was kind of prodigal. Yeah, you could say that again. His son, and he just loves his son, and he's not going to lose his son. So he was just trying to stay in touch with his son. Okay, well, now the National Archives have uncovered as many as 5,400 records containing the pseudonyms that Joe Biden used while he was vice president. Approximately 5,138 emails, 25 electronic files, 200 pages of potentially responsive records in response to a FOIA search uh, requested by the Southeastern Legal Foundation. 5,400 records. Man, Joe Biden must really love his son and really want to express that love for his son as secretly as possible. Why would Joe Biden use a pseudonym as vice president? Because he wants to avoid FOIA requests, because there are laws that allow for transparency in government in the United States, and Joe Biden was doing things that he did not want to be transparent, and he was doing those things with his son. Don't you think if he merely loved his son and just 
wanted to give him a pat on the back. Attaboy, we're here for you, son. I think he wouldn't be ashamed of doing that in public. I think he probably, as a politician, he'd probably like to do that in public. But that's not what was going on. Joe Biden was shaking down foreign leaders or having his proxy, Hunter Biden, shake down foreign leaders on the family's behalf. So this excuse is gone. He really just loves his son. That, that excuse is out the window. You're seeing a lot of drip, 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 drip of the Biden corruption. It probably doesn't matter. If, if Biden is the only choice, the liberals will still vote for him and he might well win. If though, there is another choice. If a Gavin Newsom really seems like a plausible presidential candidate, then this drip, drip, drip would seem to not be coincidental. Okay, as we're now a little over a year outside of the election. There is a non-zero chance that putting health aside, Joe Biden is not the nominee. I think still overwhelmingly the chances he will be the nominee. This really opens up a door because it is clear as day this guy is crooked. It's not just that I want to attack Joe Biden. I think there are some Democrat presidents who are not crooked, crooked. You know, Barack Obama did some corrupt things, but he was an ideologue. I think he actually believed in what he was doing. Not so Joe Biden. Joe Biden doesn't believe in anything, and he's enriched himself and his family tremendously, and that's coming out now. So if Biden's out, who's going to take over? If the Republicans manage to win, what happens? Well, we had the debate. This was supposed to be the big shakeup in the campaign, and the polls are out, and according to Morning Consult, Trump's lead is unshaken. Trump is as strong today as the front runner of the GOP as he was before the debate. I know there are a lot of people who are not going to want to hear that, but I'm giving it to you straight, man. I don't sugarcoat it. I'm not going to do that thing the Democrats did in 2016. You remember? It was like three months after Trump was sworn in, and they would say, here's the one weird trick that Bernie can use to still win the nomination. No, man, it's over. The race, that race was over, okay? And this race is not over, But what we were told was, just wait until DeSantis starts to make moves to run for president. Then he's going to jump in the polls. Didn't happen. Well, just wait until he declares. Then he's going to jump in the polls. Didn't happen. Well, just wait until the debate. Then he's going to jump in the polls. You're seeing maybe a little movement in certain states, but generally speaking, nationally, Donald Trump still has a 44-point lead over Ron DeSantis. According to Morning Consult, Trump is the first choice for 58% of Republican primary voters. That's a clear majority. This is in a field of, what, nine or 10 people? And the clear majority say, we want Trump. 14 for DeSantis and lower numbers for everybody else. This is as I predicted. And some people have accused me of shilling for Trump because I predicted this. I would have predicted this even if I totally detested Donald Trump. The reason I predicted this is the only way that the, the debate could have really mattered is if Trump were there, because the only person who could really move the needle is Trump, because Trump had the dominant lead in the party and continues to have the dominant lead. So the only, the only person who could have done something positively or negatively to really shake up the race would have been Donald Trump. He's just got a clear majority of the voters, and he didn't show up. So you might say, well, A lot of people watch the debate and not that many people watch the Tucker Carlson interview with Trump. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. It's hard to tell what the Twitter analytics really mean. Doesn't matter. Trump could have gone back home and watched a rerun of Home Improvement. He didn't need to do anything. By not doing anything, he protected himself. The only way for Trump to go at that debate by showing up was down. 
What was he going to do? He was going to go from 58 to 59. He already had so much strength in the, in the polls that very likely, especially the fact that Trump is a little loose with his language, almost certainly the only way he could have gone was down. So he skipped and avoided that. And as a result, the polls basically are where they are. And the other candidates are going to continue to duke it out on, on, the, on the number two race. So one of those people who's making moves and is pretty bold Vivek Ramaswamy. You know, I like the guy. He's a friend of mine of some years. And there's one thing that I don't like about Vivek. There's one thing. And I listen, friends have spats, and I'm willing to come out with this one. I hated the rapping. You know, at the Iowa State Fair, he was rapping. He did a rap of Eminem, who I really can't stand. I don't like his music at all. And he did it. And I know it worked. And I know that people got a kick out of it. And it's probably an effective campaign tactic. But I just, it drove me crazy. And it drove Eminem crazy too. So Eminem has just come out and demanded that Vivek stop rapping his music. Now this happens every cycle. Anytime any candidate gets attention and a candidate plays any popular song at his rallies or his campaign stops, then the artist who 99 out of 100 times is a big lib, comes out and makes a big splash in the headlines. You need to stop using my song. You're illegally playing my song. And I demand that you don't play my music at your rally. And it's so dumb. And it's such a a shameless ploy for attention. But usually they have a point. Usually they can say, you're playing an unlicensed version of my song. What's amazing about Vivek, shows you that he's a graduate of the number one law school in the country, (laughs) is he... He apparently got the license. So, so what Eminem came out and he couldn't demand that Vivek stop rapping. You, know, you would think that this little rapping type thing was just a spur of the moment thing. And maybe it was the first time, but then because Vivek is a very sharp lawyer and a very shrewd politician, even though he's never run for anything before, he apparently went out and got the license so, so that he could stop exactly what Eminem is trying to do right now. So Eminem, even more impotently than the musical artists usually have to do, he comes out and he says, hey, I demand that BMI, who holds the catalog, I demand that BMI revoke the license that Vivek apparently has on my song because I don't, I, don't I don't want it to happen. So BMI sent a letter to Vivek, says, this letter serves as notice that Eminem works are excluded from the agreement, effective immediately. BMI will consider any performance of the M&M works by the Vivek 2024 campaign from this date forward to be a material breach of the agreement for which BMI reserves all rights and remedies with respect here too. So I don't, legally, I don't know if they can actually do that, if they can say, hold on, we're taking it out of the agreement. You don't get to do M&M anymore. But regardless, now, now I have to flip-flop because I, I don't like M&M's alleged music and I don't like, I don't like it when serious people rap. <laughs> but Vivek should be rapping at every campaign stop now. This is so funny. This is such a great way to show not only are the conservatives bold and courageous and willing to mix things up and everything, but that also we sometimes can outsmart the libs too and get those licenses. Okay, there's a lot, there's a lot more to get to. New York City wants to expand the public broadcast of Muslim prayer. New York is about to become, you know, Mecca or Medina or something like that. Uh, The late night hosts have been out of work for over three months. Most people don't even know that, like Jimmy Kimmel and those guys. Uh, So now they're going to 
try to take my job. That's what they're going after. There's so much more to get to. That's all my tease. It's my tease for tomorrow because today is Woke Wednesday. We got to get to the member block. There's a very special display of something on the member block that was sent in by one of you, which we'll get to in a moment. The rest of the show continues now. If you are not a member of the Chem du Lachem, the inner circle here of the show, well, join. Go to dailywire.com. Use code Knowles at checkout. Get two months free on all annual plans. 